passes to India, Chapter Twenty Three. Lady Melanby, wife to the Lieutenant Governor of the province, had been gratified by the appeal addressed to her by the ladies of Chandrapur. She could not do anything. Besides, she was sailing for England, but she desired to be informed if she could show sympathy in any other way. Mrs. Turton replied that Mr. Heaslow's mother was trying to get a passage, but had delayed too long, and all the boats were full. Could Lady Melanby use her influence? Not even Lady Melanby could expand the dimensions of a P dot and O dot. But she was a very, very nice woman, and she actually wired. Offering the unknown and obscure old lady accommodation in her own reserved cabin, it was like a gift from heaven, humble and grateful. Ronnie could not but reflect that there are compensations for every woe. His name was familiar at Government House, owing to poor Adela, and now Mrs. Moore would stamp it on Lady Melanby's imagination. As they journeyed across the Indian Ocean and up the Red Sea, he had a return to tenderness for his mother, as we do for our relatives when they receive conspicuous and unexpected honor. She was not negligible; she could still arrest the attention of a high official's wife. So Mrs. Moore had all she wished. She escaped the trial, the marriage, and the hot weather. She would return to England in comfort and distinction, and see her other children. At her son's suggestion and by her own desire, she departed. But she accepted her good luck without enthusiasm. She had come to that state where the horror of the universe and its smallness are both visible at the same time. The twilight of the double vision in which so many elderly people are involved. If this world is not to our taste, well, at all events there is heaven, hell, annihilation, one or other of those large things, that huge scenic background of stars, fires, blue or black air, all heroic endeavor, and all that is known as art assumes that there is such a background, just as all practical endeavor, when the world is to our taste. Assumes that the world is all, but in the twilight of the double vision, a spiritual muddledom is set up for which no high-sounding words can be found. We can neither act nor refrain from action. We can neither ignore nor respect infinity. Mrs. Moore had always inclined to resignation. As soon as she landed in India, it seemed to her good, and when she saw the water flowing through the mosque tank. Or the Ganges, or the moon, caught in the shawl of night with all the other stars, it seemed a beautiful goal and an easy one. To be one with the universe, so dignified and simple, but there was always some little duty to be performed first, some new card to be turned up from the diminishing pack and placed. And whilst she was pottering about, the Marabar struck its gong. Whoever had spoken to her in that scurred-out cavity of the grey night, 
what dwelt in the first of the caves something very old and very small before time it was before space also something snub-nosed incapable of generosity the undying worm itself since hearing its voice she had not entertained a one large thought she was actually envious of adela all this fuss over a frightened girl nothing had happened and if it had she found herself thinking with the cynicism of a withered priestess if it had there were are worse evils than love the unspeakable attempt presented itself to her as love in a cave in a church bomb it amounts to the same visions are supposed to entail profundity but wait till you get one dear reader the abyss also may be petty the serpent of eternity made the megods her constant thought was less attention should be paid to my future daughter-in-law and more to me there is no sorrow like my sorrow although when the attention was paid she rejected it irritably her son could not escort her to bombay for the local situation continued acute and all officials had to remain at their post antony could not come either in case he never returned to give his evidence so she traveled with no one who could remain remind her of the past this was a relief the heat had drawn back a little before as its new advance and the journey was not unpleasant as she left chandapur the moon full again shone over the ganges and touched the shrinking channels into threads of silver then veered and looked into her window the swift and comfortable mail train slid with her through the night and all the next day she was rushing through central india through landscapes that were baked and bleached but had not the hopeless melancholy of the plain she watched the indestructible life of man and his changing faces and the houses he has built for himself and god and they appeared to her not in terms of her own trouble but as things to see there was for instance a place called asirgarh which she passed at sunset and identified on a map and in our mouse fortress among wooded hills no one had ever mentioned asirgarh to her but it had huge and noble bastions and to the right of them was a mosque she forgot it 10 minutes later asirgarh reappeared the mosque was to the left of the bastions now the train in its descent through the vindhyas had described a semicircle round asirgarh what could she connect it with expect its own name nothing she knew no one who lived there but it had looked at her twice and seemed to say i do not vanish she woke in the middle of the night with a start for the train was falling over the western cliff moonlit pinnacles rushed up at her like the fringes of a sea then a brief episode of plain the real sea and the soapy dawn of bombay i have not seen the right places she thought 
as she saw embedded in the platforms of the Victoria terminus the end of the rails that had carried her over a continent and could never carry her back. She would never visit Asirgarh or the other untouched places, neither Delhi nor Agra, nor the Rajputana cities, nor Kashmir, nor the obscure marvels that had sometimes shone through men's speech. The bilingual rock of Girnar, the statue of Sri Belgola, the ruins of Mandu and Hampi, temples of Khazraha, gardens of Shalimar. As she drove through the huge city which the West had built and abandoned with a gesture of despair, she longed to stop, though it was only Bombay, and distangle the hundred Indians that passed each other in its street. The feet of the horses moved her on, and presently the boat sailed, and thousands of coconut palms appeared all round the anchorage and climbed the hills to wave her farewell. So you thought an ego was India. You took the Marabar caves as final. They laughed. What have we in common with them, or they with Asirgarh? Goodbye. Then the steamer round Kolaba. The continent swung about. The cliffs of the ghats melted into the haze of tropic sea. Lady Melanby turned up and advised her not to stand in the heat. We are safely out of the frying pan, said Lady Melanby. It will never do to fall into the fire.